happy Hunger Games and may the odds be ever in your favor. I'm Cassie Michael and you're listening to Paideia. Today we'll be diving deep and talking about chapter 14 of The Hunger Games. Requisite spoiler warning for today's episode, I may spoil The Hunger Games. And I sometimes like to make connections to other things or spot some foreshadowing. And since I've read the series and the prequel, I may spoil some things. I don't know yet. (laughs) We'll see. Um, So here is your spoiler warning. Has it been a while since you've read Chapter 14 of The Hunger Games? Can't remember exactly what happened. Have no fear, because I will tell you everything you need to know about what happens in Chapter 14. As a reminder, we left off Chapter 13 with Katniss spotting Rue. Um, in a tree near her and Rue pointed to something near Katniss's head and chapter 14 picks off kicks, picks up with Katniss following where Rue points and seeing a tracker jacker nest and or seeing a nest she wonders if it's a wasp nest or are these tracker jackers capital mutations of wasps that cause larger stings stings the size of plums and hallucinations Katniss guesses that they are tracker jackers because this is the Hunger Games and there's nothing ordinary about the Hunger Games she comes up with the idea to drop the nest on the careers below her But she knows that doing this, in order to saw off the branch holding the nest, she'll be risking her life and it will be excruciatingly painful because of her burns. She decides to start this process under the cover of the anthem as to not alert the careers to her plan. But she does not finish making it all the way through the branch so she settles on finishing in the morning when she returns back to her tree she finds a silver parachute her first gift from sponsors sent in by Hamish and it's medicine for her burns she gets a good night's sleep wakes up eats a little breakfast and drops the tracker jacker nest onto the careers getting stung approximately three times in the process, but the rest of the tracker jackers take off after the careers and PETA. Glimmer and the girl from District 4 die from tracker jacker stings, and Katniss remembers that Glimmer has the bow and the sheath of arrows, and she battles hallucinations to get the arrows and bow. Then she hears footsteps approaching. She sees Peta, and Peta is like, what are you still doing here? Go! Run! Get out of here! And um, 
alerts Katniss that danger is coming, and while battling hallucinations still, Katniss runs into unfamiliar woods and um, gets as far away as she can um, while she's having these hallucinations, and she realizes that and has the thought during these hallucinations that PETA saved Katniss's life. Um, and that is where our chapter ends. Now, some themes I saw in this chapter are the themes of what's ordinary and what is um, I guess the opposite of ordinary would be extraordinary, um, reality, what's real, what's not real, how do we know what's real, who decides what real, what is real, and what makes something real, and also the theme of risk. So I'll start with the themes of risk and ordinary, because those are kind of both at the beginning with Katniss's thought process of deciding whether or not to drop down the tracker jackers. Um, fear shoots through me, but I have enough sense to keep still. After all, I don't know what kind of wasp lives there. It could be the ordinary, leave us alone and we'll leave you alone type, but these are the Hunger Games, and ordinary isn't the norm. More likely, they will be one of the capital's mutations, tracker jackers. Like the Jower Jays, these killer wasps were spawned in a lab and strategically placed like landmines around the districts during the war. Larger than regular wasps, they have a distinctive solid gold body and a sting that raises a lump the size of a plum on contact. Most people can't tolerate more than a few stings. Some die at once. If you live, the hallucinations brought on by the venom have actually driven people to madness. And there's another thing. These wasps will hunt down anyone who disturbs their nest and attempt to kill them. That's where the tracker part of the name comes from. So, you know, in that little excerpt, we have the word ordinary. Um, but these are the Hunger Games, and ordinary isn't the norm. So, I am questioning now, what makes something ordinary? Is it that ordinary is what's expected? Is it that ordinary is... Um, Ordinary is more mundane, more dull. Um, is it that ordinary is the norm? And um, if what is ordinary, or maybe ordinary is just being unspecial, unremarkable, unextraordinary. Maybe it has nothing to do with what's expected and what's normal. Um, you know, when I think of it in other contexts, like an ordinary looking person, someone that's not, you know, stunningly beautiful, but someone that's also not, you know, super ugly, kind of a, you know, they're ordinary, they look average, 
you know, um, or an ordinary day. Nothing happens out of the ordinary. So nothing peculiar, nothing be- nothing super bad, nothing super good happens is how I would describe an ordinary day. So I guess that ordinary doesn't have any connection with what you expect and what's normal. It kind of just describes this um, ground between like really good and not really bad. It's kind of another medium word for that. So I guess you could say nothing about the Hunger Games is ordinary. The whole idea of the Hunger Games is not ordinary because it's so terrible and fear-inducing. But perhaps in this context where the Hunger Games is a part of everyday life and the Hunger Games is something that the people have come to expect and have come to live with, um, while it's bad, perhaps for the people in Pan Am, viewing the Hunger Games is ordinary. It is mundane. Unless you're in them, living them, or you have a family member in them or living them, it's a part of everyday mundane life. And I don't know. But for the people experiencing them, everything they experience from the minute that their name is drawn is certainly not ordinary. So that's where I see that. So it's good thinking for Katniss to assume that in the Hunger Games there wouldn't be just ordinary wasps and that it would be tracker jackers. So... Um, that's another place where we see how smart she really is and how strategic she is. You know, she comes up with this plan that ultimately takes out two people. Um, she takes out two people with, like, one attack, which, um, is pretty smart, I think. Um, and with this, there is risk. Um... You know, given my circumstances, I guess it doesn't matter what type of wasp nest it is. I'm wounded and trapped. Darkness has given me a brief reprieve, but by the time the sun rises, the careers will have formulated a plan to kill me. There's no way they could do otherwise after I've made them look so stupid. That nest may be the sole option I have left. If I can drop it down on them, I may be able to escape, but I'll risk my life in the process. So, you know, when I think about risk, you know, um, I think about when is the risk worth it? When does the reward outweigh the risk? Um, it's kind of like that, um, there's an economics turn, like the opportunity cost or something, or something benefit, um, I don't know. Um, but there is 
risk in life. And sometimes risks really pay off, and sometimes they don't. In this case, the risk really pays off. Um, yes, Katniss risks her life. Yes, Katniss could have been killed, but she wasn't. She was stung three times, and yes, she suffered hallucinations, but she didn't die, and she took out two of her competition. She took out two people standing in the way of her survival. So that's, I would say, a pretty high reward for this risk that she took. Um, if she didn't drop the nest in the morning when the tracker jackers were no longer subdued by the smoke from the fire, the tracker jackers could have killed her and she would have been trapped in the tree. The careers would have a plan and, you know, she would be facing death and I bet that by not dropping the tracker jacker she would face even more death like a higher chance of death and a higher risk of death by not doing it than doing it um, before dropping the nest Katniss did alert Rue Rue tipped her off to the nest and so she see it seemed that she was only fair um, Katniss wasn't only necessarily risking her life, but Rue's too. And um, Katniss wants Rue to win if she does not. Um, she says... Um, My eyes squint as they try to penetrate the tree next to me, but I can't make out Rue. Since she tipped me off, it only seems fair to warn her. Besides, if I'm going to die today, it's a rue I want to win. Even if it means a little extra food for my family, the idea of PETA being crowned victor is unbearable. Um, so she doesn't want to risk Rue's life, so she tips Rue off, which I think is kind of her. There's also this idea of what we owe each other um, and what's fair that appears here. That idea of social contract. She's tipping off Rue because Rue tipped her off first. Um, and, you know, she feels betrayed by PETA, by PETA teaming up with the careers. And that's why I think she doesn't want him to win. And then we have the idea of reality, what's real, what's not real, and hallucinations that we see with the Tracker Jacker Venom. And this will play out more in the next few chapters as Katniss is trying to work through these events and figure out what happened and what was real and what wasn't real. So, it might be true. So, like, we know she's hallucinating at the end of the chapter. The last line of the chapter is, Then the ants bore into my eyes, and I black out. Were there actually ants on Katniss? Probably not. But that is what Katniss experienced. That's what her mind 
made her see and made her feel. That's how she hallucinated. And so it's real to her, but not real to the viewers watching, perhaps. Um, you know, she saw the green pus um, coming out of where the stingers were when she took it out and all over glimmer. Was there actually green pus? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but that is what she saw and that's what she experienced. Um, you know... I reach Glimmer, just as the cannon fires. The Tracker Jackers have vanished. This girl, so breathtakingly beautiful in her golden dress the night of the interviews, is unrecognizable. Her features eradicated, her limbs three times their normal size. The stinger lumps have begun to explode, spewing putrid green liquid around her. I have to break several of what used to be her fingers with a stone to free the bow. The sheath of arrows is pinned under her back. I try to roll over her body by pulling on one arm, but the flesh disintegrate, disintegrates in my hand and I fall back on the ground. Is this real or have the hallucinations begun? I squeeze my eyes tight and try to breathe through my mouth, ordering myself not to become sick. Breakfast must stay down. It might be days before I can hunt again. A second cannon fires, and I'm guessing the girl from District 4 has just died. I hear the birds fall silent, and then one gives the warning call, which means a hovercraft is about to appear. Confused, I think it's for Glimmer, although this doesn't quite make sense because I'm still in the picture, still fighting for the arrows. I lurch back onto my knees, and the trees around me begin begin to spin in circles in the middle of the sky. In the middle of the sky, I spot the hovercraft. I throw myself over Glimmer's body as if to protect it, but then I see the girl from District 4 being lifted into the air and vanishing. So Katniss asks herself, is this real or have the hallucinations begun? So, I don't know. Katniss experiences this time in a different way than the people viewing the Hunger Games. And the hallucinations, I think, are real for her. Um, and I wonder if everyone can have a different reality. Um, if what's real for one person isn't real for another person... And I don't know, because then that is kind of just messy. And, you know, then you have, like, well, for me, these alternative facts are true. But facts should be facts. Facts should be true and real for everyone. Um, so I'm just thinking about, you know, what is real? What is reality? What is truth? And how do we know what's real? You know, we have our experiences and our memories, but memories can fail and memories are faulty. We don't remember everything. Um, how do we know what to trust? 
how do we know what's real? You know, I've dreamed sometimes that they seem so real. They're so vivid. And um, how do I know when something is a dream and if it actually happened? I guess, you know, I experienced the dream. And so, in a sense, the experience and the emotions and the feelings are real, even if it's not. I'm thinking about in Harry Potter, in the seventh book, when Harry is in King's Cross Station after having been killed, in a sense, by Voldemort, and Dumbledore appears, and Harry asks, they have a conversation, and at the end, Harry asks, is this real, or is this just happening in my head? And Dumbledore says... Um, something like, it's happening in your head, but that doesn't make it any less real. Um, so with that, like, connection, I would think that what we experience and what we experience in our head is real to us. So in that way, um, everyone has their own reality of how they experience the world, um, But then there are facts, facts and a reality which are real to everyone, universally real, um, universally true. So, yeah, those are some of my thoughts on this chapter. Um, I also wonder if, you know, in this chapter, we don't really see Katniss feel the effect of what she did. Um, Her actions led to the loss of two human lives, and we don't really see her recognize that or deal with that in this chapter. And I'm wondering if we'll see that in the next chapters um i think these are the first two people that die because of her actions um i could be wrong she might have killed someone earlier but i don't think so um and you know she was hallucinating but i wonder if we'll get to see how she processes this and see if she processes it. Um, I can't pretend to know the toll that your action, that someone, that taking a human life could have on someone, Um, but I'm wondering if we'll see Katniss work through that. Um, Another question I have related to this chapter is, how do we know when to take a risk? And I think the simple answer, the answer that, like, you know, economics would say is you take a risk when the potential reward outweighs the, um, outweighs the situation of not taking the risk. So in Katniss's case, 
um, escaping death and escaping the careers outweighs being trapped by the nest anyway and facing the careers with a plan to kill her. So the risk is worth it. Um, but, you know, I also think some of it is um, how much does the goal or the reward mean to you? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Um, and, you know, how big of a risk is it? Um, you know, the bigger the risk, the bigger reward, but then it's also a lot harder in some ways to take the risk. Um, I am not necessarily someone who takes a lot of risks. I have a lot of anxiety and that fear um, can hold me back. It can trap me in my room and it can, you know, keep me from experiencing a lot of what life has to offer. Um, and I usually like to end my episodes by um, taking something from the chapter and um, trying to apply the idea or the theme to my own life because um, I think that's a way of learning, you know, taking what you've read, thinking, ab thinking about it, and then applying a lesson or an idea to your own life. Um, and so that's why I like to do that. And I think I want to take more risks. Um, you know, I'll probably start, you know, with some smaller risks and then, um, you know, take bigger risks. Um, but I think there can be a real benefit at times to taking risks. And if I take more risks, I think I'll be able to live and experience life more fully. And with that, this episode comes to a close. This has been another episode of Paideia. I'm Cassie Michael, and thank you all so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time for Chapter 15 of The Hunger Games. And thank you all so much for your support, and have a great day.